book of Joshua. Let's back up and remember the story so far. So God chose Abraham, and then his family became the people of Israel, who are then enslaved down in Egypt. And so through Moses, God rescued Israel out of Egypt. He made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai, and he brought them through the wilderness. So Israel then camped outside the promised land, and Moses called them to obey God's commands so that they could show all the other nations what God is like. The book of Joshua picks up right after Moses has died, and Israel's ready to enter the land. So the story of Joshua is designed with four main movements. Joshua first leads Israel into the Promised Land, and then once they're there, they meet all this hostility from the Canaanites, and so they engage them in battle. Then after their victories, Joshua divides up the Promised Land as the inheritance for the 12 tribes, and then the book concludes with these final speeches that Joshua gives to the people. So let's dive in and we'll see how all of it flows together. The first section begins with Moses' death, and Joshua is appointed as Israel's new leader. And the author intentionally presents Joshua as a new Moses. So like Moses, Joshua calls the people to obey the Torah, which means the covenant commands that they were given at Mount Sinai. And then Joshua sends spies into the land, just as Moses did back in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, except it goes way better this time. In fact, even some Canaanites turn and follow the God of Israel. Joshua then leads all Israel across the Jordan River and into the land. Just like the sea parted for Moses in the Exodus, so here the river Jordan parts and the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant across, leading all of Israel with them. Now, in chapter 5, the story transitions. So the people look back to their roots as God's covenant people, and so the new generation is circumcised and they celebrate their first Passover in the land. But then they turn and prepare to go forward. And Joshua has this crazy encounter with a mysterious warrior, who, it turns out, is the angelic commander of God's army. And Joshua asks, are you for us, or are you for our enemies? And the warrior responds, neither. Which shows that the real question here is whether Joshua is on God's side. It makes clear that this whole story is not about Israel versus the Canaanites. Rather, this is God's battle, and Israel is going to play the role of spectators or sometimes supporters in God's plan, which leads to the next section. We find stories about all these conflicts that Israel had with different Canaanite groups, and the first part retells the story of two battles in detail, and that's followed by a series of short stories that condense years of battles into a few brief summaries. So the first two battles are against Jericho and then Ai. And they offer these contrasting portraits of God's faithfulness versus Israel's failure. At Jericho, Israel is to take a completely passive approach. So they let God's presence in the ark lead them around the city to music for six days. And just like Rahab turned to the God of Israel, maybe the people of Jericho would do the same, but they don't. And so on the seventh day, the priests blow the trumpets and the walls come falling down leading Israel to victory. The point of the story is that God is the one who will deliver his people. Israel simply needs to trust and wait. Now the next story of the battle at Ai makes the opposite point. So there's this Israelite named Achan, and he steals from Jericho some of the devoted goods that were to belong to God alone, and then he lies about it. It's a pretty lame move after all that God has done for Israel. And so Israel goes into battle with the city of Ai, and they're totally defeated. And it's only after humble repentance and severely dealing with Khan's sin 
that Israel gains victory. And so together, these two stories, they're placed right up front to make an important point. If Israel is going to inherit the land, they have to be obedient and trust in God's commands. They don't get special treatment. Now the second part of this section begins with the Gibeonites, a Canaanite people group, and they do just what Rahab did as they turn to follow the God of Israel and they make peace with Israel. This is in contrast to all of these other Canaanite kings who start to form alliances and coalitions and they want to destroy Israel. So Israel engages them in battle and they win by a landslide. And so this whole section concludes with this summary list of all of these victories won by Moses and then by Joshua. Now, Let's stop for a second, because odds are that these stories and the violence in them, they're going to bother you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're bound to wonder, like, didn't Jesus say to love your enemies? Why is God declaring war here? So, first, why the Canaanites? The main reasons are actually given earlier in the biblical story, is that the culture of the Canaanites had become extremely morally corrupt, especially when it comes to sex. Go check out Leviticus chapter 18. And they also widely practice child sacrifice. Go see Deuteronomy chapter 12. And so God didn't want these practices to influence Israel. The Canaanites had to go. Which raises the second question. Did God actually command the destruction of all the Canaanites, like a genocide? So at first glance, you know, you look at the phrases used in these stories. They totally destroyed them. They left no survivor or anything to breathe. But when you look a second time, more closely, you'll see that these phrases are clearly hyperbole and not literal. So go back to the original command about the Canaanites in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Israel is first told to drive out the Canaanites, but then to totally destroy them. And then that's followed by commands to not intermarry with them or enter into business deals with them. So you can't marry someone that you've destroyed. I think you get the point. The same idea applies to the stories in Joshua. Look closely. So for example, we're told in Joshua chapter 10 that Israel left no survivors in the cities of Hebron or Debir. But then later, in chapter 15, we see these towns and they're still populated by Canaanites. And so what we're seeing is that Joshua fits in with other ancient battle accounts by using non-literal hyperbolic language as part of the narrative style. And so the word genocide doesn't actually fit what we see here, especially in light of the stories about the Canaanites who did turn to the God of Israel, like Rahab or the Gibeonites. God was open to those who would turn to him. The last thing to think about is that these stories mark a unique moment in Israel's history. These battles were limited to the handful of people groups living in the land of Canaan. With all other nations, Israel was commanded by God to pursue peace. Go read Deuteronomy chapter 20. So the purpose of these battle stories was never to tell you, the reader, to go commit violence in God's name. Rather, they show God bringing his justice on human evil at a unique moment in history and how he delivered Israel from being annihilated by the Canaanites. Now, let's go back to the book's design. After years of battles, we see an aging Joshua, and he starts dividing up the land for the 12 tribes of Israel. And most of this section is like lists of boundary lines. And let's be honest, it's kind of boring. It's like reading a map that has no pictures. But for the Israelites, these lists were super important. This was fulfillment of God's ancient promises to Abraham that his descendants would inherit the promised land. And so now it was all coming to pass right down to the detail, which leads to the final section. 
Joshua gives two speeches to the people that are very similar to the final speeches of Moses in Deuteronomy. Joshua reminds them of God's generosity, how he brought them into the land and rescued them from the Canaanites. And so he calls them to turn away from the Canaanite gods and be faithful to the covenant they made. If they do, it will lead to life and blessing in the land. But if they're unfaithful, Israel will call down on itself the same divine judgment that the Canaanites experienced. They'll be kicked off the land into exile. And so Joshua leaves Israel with a choice. What is Israel going to do? That's the big question that looms as the story ends, and that's the book of Joshua. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, rather than me standing up here and going through that in a thousand words. Uh, I don't know how many words that guy used, but it wasn't a thousand, I'm sure, uh, probably a couple of hundred. But it paints a picture for us to put us in perspective of where I want to go with today's message entitled, The Walls of Jericho. And uh, when we're in children's church or when we're kids growing up in a church, uh, maybe you were blessed to grow up in a home where your parents took you to church and you learned these stories uh, from your youth, from a young age. Uh, the Bible speaks very highly of uh, families that rear their children in the admonition of the Lord. Uh, the Apostle Paul speaks to Timothy and tells him how blessed he is because that he has a wisdom inside of him because of the scripture that was imparted there by his grandmother uh, and his mother growing him up and rearing him in uh, the admonition of the Lord and in scripture. So anytime that our children are downstairs in children's church or nursery, uh, I feel that we're blessed as a church, that people from our congregation are willing to go down, uh, give her their time where they come to usually sit in service and learn about the things of God in a sermon or to fellowship amongst uh, the saints up here together. Uh, but they give their time to go uh, teach these kids and I appreciate Albie and all she's doing to lead uh, the children's church ministry and all the things that Bethesda, the BGMC, that uh, Rachel and Melissa is helping with and all the different things that go on in children's ministry of our church and youth group. Uh, we're just blessed as a church, amen? Because of the children, uh, when these children grow up, uh, we need to know that we're leaving them and trusting them with our futures because someday... They will more than likely be the ones that's taking care of us when we're in a nursing home. Amen. So that's always the way you want to treat your kids and raise your kids is someday they're going to be the ones taking care of you. And what kind of model do you want them to live and lead life by how you've lived? Uh, Joshua chapter 6, as we went through this story here in Joshua, it's the entire book. Uh, this week and next week we're going to talk about two different accounts in Joshua, but this week it's uh, Joshua chapter 6, and it tells the story, it depicts the story of the battle uh, that happened there at Jericho and how that God instructed Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, whenever Joshua comes up and asks, uh, the angel appears, the army of the Lord is there, the angels, how many knows if you're getting ready to do battle, it's good for the angels to be around, amen. So the angel shows up to Joshua, and that's always encouraging. Uh, if you've never saw an angel, uh, it, it's something you should pray for and you should seek, amen, that God would allow you to see an angel. Uh, one time I was in a church service and was just overcome by the Spirit of God and I felt like I was carried away in like a, a vision type moment. And uh, I, was, I was there and it was up in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, Juanita Biden was there preaching and it's just like I was carried away. It's like I was raptured out of my body and I was up above the congregation of the church. 
And I saw these angels, and they appeared around the top of the church, and it looked like a carousel, like a, almost linked arms, and it looked, and they was moving in a, in a circular fashion around the roof of that church. And I, I was completely captured by the Spirit, and I didn't even understand or hear things that was going on or what the message was being preached. And, but sometimes we need to seek some things like that, amen? Some uh, spiritual moments where we're even out-of-body experiences because if it can happen for John the Revelator, and he says, on the, on the Lord's Day, I was captured or raptured out of my body, and I saw heaven, and that's how we got the book of Revelation, then God can give us those kind of pictures today, amen? I believe that he can paint that picture for us. But those angels that I saw, they were at least, I don't know, it, 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 that building was probably maybe uh, 150 foot tall. And these angels were at least triple that, that I saw with my spiritual eyes. And I'll never forget that as long as I live that I can remember the moment where that I saw angelic forces and angels of hosts encamped around about those that believed. The Bible speaks very highly of uh, and often about the, the accounts of angels. And we see the appearance in Daniel that when we fasted, fasted here recently, the 21 days the Daniel fast that we did, at the end of that, the angel Gabriel shows up to Daniel, and Daniel sees this angel, and the angel speaks to him and declares things to him. And there's all times in the Bible that I believe that we have personal angels. I believe that angels are uh, accountable and to God, and on our behalf, he puts them around about us, and they're our hedge of protection. Amen. I believe in angels that they protect us and they lead us and they guide us and, and we can listen if we'll hearken to their voice. And as Joshua sees this angel, he asks the angel, what side are you on? Are you going to fight for us or are you going to fight for our enemies? And it's said in the video that the angel says neither. It's in the end of Joshua chapter 5. Actually, the King James Version is just like N-A-H, I think is what it says in the last verses of Joshua chapter 5. Uh, Joshua, you know, he's, he's worried about getting ready to go to battle. He wants to implore the Lord and ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? What would you have me to do in this battle? And here he's asking this, and the angel says, nah. <laughs> I mean, that's not very encouraging. <laughs> Amen. Nah. Not really. Neither. It's kind of scary, really. But the key is to notice that God has already dispatched angels there in the land of Canaan when the Israelites show up. And I think the picture that needs to be painted here is that whenever God prophesies to you or gives you dreams and visions about a place or a region or a city to go take on or a, a uh, apartment complex to go uh, be a Christian witness to or any of those type of things. I believe this paints a picture to where that actually God dispatches angels to go before you to prepare a way before you to give you good success when you get there. Amen? So whatever God calls you to do, what I believe this paints a picture for me is saying that God has already dispatched his angels to go before me and prepare a way. Amen. I believe that God creates our path and he will lead us and guide us in all truth. Amen. Scripture says that he will absolutely take us and lead us because it is the light. The scripture is referred to as a light, that lamp that lights our path as we go. So Joshua's there, he hears this, and then he, he goes on to pray, and then in Joshua chapter 6, it goes on to depict and tell the story about how that he goes into, uh, gives him very clear direction about how to go about this battle. That whenever you go up to this uh, 
a city that you've already been to, you've already saw before this city, whenever you go up to this city, I'm, not, I'm telling you not to go in and fight by yourself, but wait for God. Amen? So as the angel depicts this and tells this to Joshua, Joshua hears this, you know, well, we're going to go fight a battle, but I've got to stand outside and wait and walk around the walls. How many, how many thinks that sounds like a good, wise strategy as an army? To go walk around and around outside the camp of the walls, and whenever you're walking around them, you're, you're uh, giving the enemy that's standing on top of those walls a picture of how many of you they are. Amen. You're allowing them to calculate. You're allowing them to formulate a strategy of how they're going to take on this battle that's getting ready to happen. So for seven days, God causes them to walk around this, this wall. And it's kind of crazy, really. It's like, why would you show your hand? Be kind of like playing poker and just turn the cards around every little bit and saying, here, here's what I've got. What do you have? And that's just not the way you play, right? We understand that. You've got to do it in secret. I, uh, Brummy. You can play Go Fish. You can play all these card games you want to. You're not going to show your hand. Why in battle would you show your hand? Well, it don't really make sense to me. But God's ways are not our ways. Amen? God's ways are not our ways. And Scripture says that His ways are past finding out. We can't even understand it. It's beyond finding out. So as, as, as the angel is, as, is charging Joshua how to go about this battle, Joshua obeys. He doesn't, he doesn't go ahead and say, well, the angel said this, but I think I'll do it my way. He goes on and does what the angel declares. So he goes out and he gets the priest and he tells them to go. And they go around the walls and they, they go around one time each day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're supposed to go around seven times. And, and they're not even allowed to talk. You've got to understand that there's millions of Israelites at this point. When they come out of Israel 40 years earlier... Some people estimate between 2 and 6 million Israelites come out of Egypt. That's a lot of people. So if you just take your battle warriors out of that crowd of 6 million total, or, or even go in the middle range and say there's 4 million, you're still going to have an army of a million people. And if they're walking around these walls, that's a lot of people, right? And God told them, don't say a word. Let your neighbor say, you need to just be quiet. <laughs> Amen. But can you imagine a million people actually shutting up? I I can't imagine trying to get 40 people to shut up. Right? But God tells them and they walk around and they obey his command. So in this, the Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? We should obey God and whatever his word is, whatever he leads us, whatever he guides us, whatever his spirit tells us. We have a heart check and God tells us what to do. We should obey what he says. If his scripture tells us something that's very clear, it's written out and it's depicted for us to live by, then we should obey what his word says. Yeah. So here Joshua does this. The priests do their job. They walk around and on the seventh day, the seventh time around, they still hadn't said anything. And as they're walking around, I can imagine that moment of anticipation of knowing that this is the moment where God says the battle is getting ready to start. Can you imagine the anticipation and the energy that's growing when you know you've had to shut up for seven days and you had to walk around these walls and you can't figure that out and you're doing it anyway just out of me. It's kind of like going through a 21-day fast. It's like I'm anticipating that food that I'm getting ready to eat. And then Leslie stayed up till midnight. 
And actually, I didn't even eat that night, I don't think, did I? I waited until the next morning. I fell asleep. I was a quitter. I was going to stay up and wait. You know, he's going to eat me a donut about midnight. He's going to be awesome. But I fell asleep. Listen, didn't. She ate her donut. But the anticipation comes and it builds the more you're waiting. How many's got things like that in life where that God has told you things and promised you things and the longer it seems like you wait, the more anticipation builds. So here they are, these army warriors, and they're thinking, I don't know what's fixing to happen, but something's getting ready to go down here. God, is a, he's, a, he's not called me to do this for nothing. He's going to have a, to perform some kind of act here. It's going to be a miracle, right? I'm expecting a miracle. What are you expecting in your life? What are you looking forward to God doing you in your future? Amen. This is a question I think we need to ask ourselves today. I think miracles happen to us all the time, but sometimes we don't even notice because we're not even looking. It comes with anticipation. It comes because we're looking. When we're seeking. Paul says you ask. You have not because you ask not. If we don't ask for miracles, we'll probably never get one. Amen? Amen. I believe that God is inspiring us today Amen. to have some anticipation the way this army did. And the last thing God tells them is the moment when you come around that seventh trip, sure. when you yeah. stop, Amen. he tells those priests to get up the ram's horns and blow the trumpet of Zion. And whenever they blow that trumpet, all the people of God are to shout simultaneously in the same moment. And when they do, the Bible says that the walls come crumbling down. Yeah. This is amazing to me because how many notice that there's some things that's walled up that the devil will try to hold back from you? Sure. Amen? Amen. How many would like to see some of those walls fall? Amen. Whether it be a new job? Yeah. I can think like Brandon. I've known Brandon now for several years. And Brandon keeps trying to go get his welding test. He'll drive out to Oklahoma and she's sitting there shaking her head, yes, because she knows. He'll go out there and he says everything just be going just fine. They'll come back and he'll say, but on the last day, just nothing went right. Yeah. And he drives back home and thinks, man, why? It's because the enemy don't want Brandon to do good. The enemy don't want Brandon to have good success. But how many knows that God loves his kids. Yes, he does. Amen. Amen. And we got to believe. And we got to pray. And we got to seek God's face. So Brandon, next time, I'm going to just refer to you right now. The next time you go try, Amen. call everybody in this church and say, I need you to pray. Amen. And we'll see what prayer does. Amen. Amen. How many will join with me and say, yeah. next time Brandon Amen. goes, I'll Amen. join in. I'll lift him up sure. in a prayer. Amen. And I'm going to shout the seventh day. And we're going to watch Brandon walk out of there with the wheelchair next time. I believe in the miracles of heaven. Even though that may seem simple, it may seem like, well, that don't really matter. It matters a lot to them. It matters a lot to those two little boys that's going to grow up in that home. Amen. It should matter to Amen. us. Amen. Amen. I believe God can do even Amen. things like that, don't you? Because the enemy wants to steal, but God wants to give. That's a major difference. God gives good gifts to his children. It says the, the father of lights gives good gifts to his children. 
what scripture says. And it says that the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Yeah. That's his goal. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. So there's a major difference between the two opposing forces here. But who is greater? The God of heaven that holds the keys of the kingdom or the devil that's sitting down there waiting for his end days and last times to be able to have one more hoorah. Yeah. I believe God is bigger. Yeah. I believe he's greater than any of our, our, our needs that we have here today. That's just one account. There's a lot of people in this room that has a need of some type or some sort. And you're praying, let, let me have that kind of victory too. Let me have that kind of success too. Just pray. Seek God. Get other people praying. Join together. The Bible says if any two or three agree is touching anything, it'll be done. I believe in a prayer of agreement. My mom, she prays often and she, she'll call and she'll say, Ben, just, just agree with me in prayer. She'll call out Mary. I've heard her on the phone all my life. Agree with me in prayer. The day when I was laying in the cistern dead and they brought me out and they was taking me in an ambulance up there to the hospital. What did my mom do? She was driving up the road. My sister had just gotten saved. What did my mom do? She said, I need somebody to agree with me. She turned around and grabbed my sister's hand and said, agree with me. And her prayer was that Ben would be sitting up in the bed, even though he was dead a few minutes ago, he'll be sitting up in the bed when I walk through the room at the hospital. How many knows that's a miraculous kind of prayer? That's a prayer where you're saying, God, do something greater than me. Do something bigger than me. And guess what? The moment when she come walking through the door at the hospital, guess what they did with Ben? They had my bed and they pulled it up. And whatever they did, I was vomiting out all the stuff out of my lungs. The debris that was in there, the old dead rat, all the leaves and all that junk, it was coming out of my lungs. Why? Because my mama prayed. Amen. I believe it works, folks. Amen, yes. Joshua had this belief. Psalms 20 verse 7 says this, some nations boast about their chariots and their horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord. That's what King David said. Some people, and I'm sure the people of Jericho, they were boasting about the big wall that they had built around this city. And some people say it was 75 feet high. And they boasted about what a fortified city they was and that nobody could permeate, nobody could come through, no army could overtake them because all they had to do was shut the doors. The wall was going to keep everybody out. But how many knows God's bigger than our walls? Amen. God's bigger than what we want to fortify. God's bigger than whatever we want to do. And that's no intent, no intent here about any way for anything that's going on in our nation. I believe in a nation of security. I believe in a nation that has rules and regulations. I believe that God depicts us and tells us to have a nation with some laws. Amen. He set up the nation of Israel and gave them the whole Levitical law. I believe in laws. Somebody say amen. There was a great wall of China. We can, we can look at that up. Over 2,000 years old, some places of us tore down, other places are not. The great wall of China. It was for miles and miles and miles. This big, beautiful uh, fortress that the nation of China had uh, put out there to, to block people from coming in. But all even doing that, the little nation of Japan right there during World War II, Japan comes over and takes over China. It would be like Hawaii whipping the United States today. It don't even seem possible, does it? Sometimes impossibilities become possible when God gets involved. Want to say that again? Sometimes impossibilities becomes possible when God gets involved. He's bigger than what we're capable of. Another wall was the wall of Berlin. It happened in World War II after they began to 
divide the plunder and all the land of World War II, the nations of the, of the earth, the Russians, the Americans, the, the people of England, they come together and they said, you know, where we're going to, how we're going to divide up what we've won here. How, and Hitler's gone, he's done, we're going to divide this land up. Next thing you know, Russia comes through and goes putting up a barbed wire fence and builds this big wall. In the mid-40s, how many remembers the wall? And there was grandparents who would stand and look at the other side of that wall, a barbed wire fence, and see their grandkids on the other side of the wall. And it was illegal for them to go across. They wasn't allowed to go over there. They would stand at the wire and just stand there and sob and cry for generations, two or three generations, or just standing there praying for 40-some years, looking across barbed wire and saying, I can't go over there because I'm not part of them now. I'm on the east side and I want to be on the west side. Ronald Reagan, the American president. I remember it well. I was a kid. I remember being on the news. Him going over and standing. Having a big news conference. And a big microphone. And he says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's my best Ronald Reagan voice I can come up with. <laughs> and shortly thereafter, they liberated it, and you've seen all those people standing up on the walls with shovels and picks, and it was a concrete fort fortress, and they tore it down with picks and shovels, and they opened the wall, and for the first time, families come back together. Yes. Nehemiah, he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. We know about the account that he come back, and it, there's a whole book in the Old Testament that talks about Nehemiah doing that. Ezra come back from, from Babylon, and he rebuilt the temple. There in Jerusalem, it was tore down. I, I love it here. And, and then these different things and some of the things going on in our world today, the things about spies. And some people say, we know spies and all this. The Bible's got spies in it. It says here that Joshua and Caleb was part of the 12 originally that Moses sent out to go spy out the land, right? Sure did. You know what that's saying? J. Edgar Hoover's probably right. We need to have an FBI. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. We need to have a CIA. Amen. We need a secret form of, and even I watched a video a while back about how Washington had these spies and things. Even back in the Revolutionary War, that he he spied out things and had different people going in under the cover and get behind the curtain of what was going on, of what England was trying to do in the Americas. Something you don't think about a lot, but God dispatched spies. And then the thing is, Joshua didn't just go off what he remembered from 40 years earlier. It says here that he sent him out again. Are you living your life today on 40-year-old information? Or are you getting new revelation today? This is something important, I believe, for Christians that we got to have some fresh manna from heaven. Amen. A fresh word of the Lord that jumps off the page and captures your heart that says, wow, I've read this Bible through I don't know how many times, and today that leaped off the page, and it was like it was directly for me. Amen. A fresh manna of heaven. I believe in that wholeheartedly. And sometimes when I'm reading through Scripture and it's just like something leaps out, I was like, why did I never see that before? 
It's mysteries. Paul even talks about, and Paul the Apostle, he wrote most of the New Testament. And here, here Paul says, he says, I, I speak in these mysteries, and God speaks in mysteries sometimes, and some things I don't even understand. And if the Apostle Paul don't understand it, I'm sure not going to, with my weak little mind, right? But I'm still going to look for them and say, God, show me this new information. Show me what to do. So I can just imagine, and this year for us, what's the year word for the year at Bethesda? Huh? Raja vu. It's the Howie word. Raja vu. Raja vu. I just wonder if Josh was standing here today, remembers where he was at back then, and he's like, it's not deja vu, like I feel like I've been here before, but it's Raja vu. It feels like, man, I'm going to be here again. It makes me wonder if he thought when he was standing there that day when the ten of them was saying we can't do this and Joshua and, and, and Caleb was saying yes we can with God we can take this city. And can it just be that he had a raja vu moment that says you know what if, I might not get to fight the battle today but it might even be 40 years from now but guess what I'm going to stand true to God and I'm going to walk in his paths I'm going to delight myself in the laws of the Lord and I'm going to do what Moses says and as I go there's going to be a raja vu moment where I can see God bring some things to pass that I thought was impossible. Amen. 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 Raise your vu is something we need to live with. Yes. Wow. Yes, is. God's going to do it. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I just believe He's going to. Amen. Amen. And being humble in those moments. It's 1229. I'm so sorry. Next thing I had wrote down, I'm going to go through them real quick. Turn your enemies into friends. Yes. Rahab was behind those walls. They turned her enemy into a friend. Jesus. These spies went in, talked to her, said, here's what we're going to do. Hang this scarlet rope. We'll come back where we sit. We won't harm you or your family. Whenever they said that, they didn't know, but they were setting themselves up for a future yeah. that would have a Messiah. Yeah. Rahab yeah. was King David's great-grandmother. Sometimes our enemies possess our future. Sometimes the people we want to see defeated might just be the key that unlocks our future. It's hard to think that way. Jesus comes along and he says, pray for those that use you. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you right now. We've got to come to that place. And, and Greg's one of the... <laughs> I know some people that's done Greg Hall wrong. And I know how Greg Hall is. He just sits there and he says, you know what? He just lets it roll off like... He's like a... You ever seen a duck try to take a bath? Yeah. It just rolls off of them like babies. They don't have to spray themselves down with rain eggs. It's just automatic. That's the way Greg Hall is. I, I've seen him go through some things in life and he just... It's just like water rolling off his back. He just don't... It, he don't harbor no ill will of enemies or anything like that. I witness it all the time. And I pray we would all become more that way. Amen. Amen. I'm not saying Greg's perfect. I'm sure he was standing up right there. i say I'm not near as perfect as he makes me out to be. But we need to be that way. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to let some things go. Amen. Amen. Don't harbor any ill will. Don't harbor those feelings that cause you to always go back into yesterday. Begin to look toward tomorrow. I'm telling you, your enemies may possess your future. 
about, about uh, foreigners in the land that talked about in the video. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31 says, Treat them like native-born Israelites. Love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's how we're to deal with immigrants in our land. They were to treat them like ourselves. Let's stand. great American hero, Abraham Lincoln, said when he was asked by one of his comrades once about whether God was with him or against him. Abraham Lincoln said this, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My great concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Don't you bow your head and close your eyes. Is there anybody in this room who just say, Pastor Ben, I've not been expecting enough. And I can sense the urgency in the spirit today that I know that expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. And today I'm going to set my mind that I'm going to begin to ex expect God to move in the miraculous in my life. He's going to turn some things around. I'm ready for some of my enemies to become my friends. Anybody in this room say, that's me, just lifting your hand. I'm ready for God to turn some things around. Thank you, Father God. Amen. You can put your hands down. I want to pray for everybody here today. A lot of you raised your hands. Father, I'm grateful for Bethesda. Lord, I'm grateful for this opportunity to come together and agree Lord, as the walls of Jericho fell that day so many thousand years ago, and Joshua standing there amazed that this way of war, they didn't have to fire a bullet. All they had to do was shout. And God, sometimes your ways and some of the things you tell us to do just seem so crazy and outlandish. But God, I pray for the people in this room today. Lord, as you lead them by your spirit, and Lord, as you just encamp them around about with angels, Lord, that the things you decree them to do, Lord, even when it won't make sense, but God, that you give them the boldness to step out and reach out and begin to do the things that you've called them to do. Help us as Bethesda, Lord, to go farther than we heard when we went before. Lord, we pray specifically for our missionaries down there in Argentina, Lord, of Jacobson's, as they went so many years ago, and Lord, they went with a dream and a vision of just setting up a little camp and having a little missionary service. But God, through that process of time, you continue to allow them to grow. And God, now there's a great Bible institute there. And Lord, now they're praying for this dorm. I pray that you would give them provision, God. Lord, that you would stretch out your hand and reach down and touch the people of Argentina. Lord, that your blessings would be there. And God, I pray for the people in this room, Lord, that they would just be overwhelmed by your blessings. 
And God, as they begin to expect to see the miracles begin to happen in their life, God, they, they, it's rolling through their mind. Even at this very moment, they're, they're thinking, man, I'd like to see that finally come to pass. I've had this dream for so many years, and I feel like Joshua, that it's been way too long. And now is the time, the season is here, and you're going to unleash the floodgates of heaven to pour out the blessings upon your people. God, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your glory. And Lord, let us shout the way that, those eight, that they did for Joshua that day. Lord, that we would shout and that the walls that the enemy set up against us would crumble. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. 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 Amen.